Is it yet safe to be optimistic about the Minnesota Vikings? Kinda. Let's talk about it on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Just pick two to five of your favorite players. And if they score more or less than their prize pick, picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on entry. First-time users receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. You can, of course, also find the Locked On Vikings podcasts and all Minnesota sports Locked On podcasts on the Locked On Minnesota sports app on Amazon Fire and Roku if you got those. It's Twitter Tuesday. That means I'm answering your questions, your burning inquiries about the Minnesota Vikings mostly. <laughs> uh, if you have questions, you can always send them to me at Luke Brown NFL or at Lockdown Vikings on Twitter. Leave a YouTube comment. If you're watching on YouTube, send me an email, lockdownvikingspodcast at gmail.com, or you can fill out the Google form, which is linked in the show notes. First one comes from Skull Actuary, who says, how can I have any hope this season when I just know we'll run into the buzzsaw, that's the Eagles or Bills, seems like ultimately we will fall to the mighty. I see this sentiment everywhere, and with a Vikings season that is getting pretty serious, the Vikings are 6-1. and one. They are really, really likely to win their division now. I mean, it's not clinched or anything, and it ain't over till the fat lady sings, right? But it's pretty <laughs> looking like the Vikings are going to be in the postseason, and that means you're going to have uh, the story of a postseason appearance. Every year that has a postseason appearance is pretty much defined by that. So we are going to experience that. How, oh, how do we cope? And I see it a lot. I jokingly refer to it as moral defeat Twitter because they're always the people that complain about moral victories. And then when you do win a game, they complain about how the victory wasn't good enough. And it's like they got, well, morally they were defeated. And it's like, well, do you care about how the, the vibe of the game was or not? <laughs> and that, like, that's something I don't have a lot of patience for because look, find your joy in the season, right? If you are the kind of person, if you're the kind of fan, I, I think there are two kinds of fans. There's the kind of fan who can watch a team and whether they win or lose, enjoy themselves. You know, the kind of fan that's just that, that enjoys watching football, right? Whether they're with family or they just love the sport or whatever that, that has their joy in watching. I love that. I'm that kind of fan. I love watching the Vikings. If the Vikings are one in 16, I will still love watching the Vikings. I will criticize them. I'll call them out. I'm not going to be nice to them, but I will still, you'll, you'll find me every Sunday, right? And then there's the kind of fan that just can't enjoy it unless it's a Super Bowl season. And if you're that latter kind of fan, you live in a hell of your own making. And there's not a lot that you can do. Which team could you be a fan of that would make you happy? If if all if a Super Bowl is the only thing that can make you happy, which team can you be a fan of? Can you predict it before the season? Can you just pick the Chiefs and hope? Because the Chiefs only have one ring. You could have picked the Patriots, but that's over. And there's you're not going to see anything like that again. You could go pick the, the favorite. Go be, be a Bills fan this year. You could be a big Fairweather fan, but that probably isn't it. That is just not how sports work. 
And there's a lot more to sports than who wins the championship, right? I mean, that's the ultimate goal of the season. But if that's all you take out of it, then you're scratching the surface and saying there's not much to this. All of that said, I mean, you got to find whatever joy you have. If your joy is watching sports with your family or if your joy is just for me the joy is just like it's a little more academic it's just i love trying to figure out what happened on the play the puzzles of all that i love it when the vikings win i love it when they win a game that's it it's 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 that easy i i absolutely adore it when they win again i love it when they win a game against division rivals even more and i'm one of those fans that you know if they go two and 15 but the two are against the packers i can i can work with that <laughs> i'm that kind of guy and so i would say you don't have to get your hopes up to enjoy and be excited about the season, right? This is an exciting season right now, whether or not they win the Super Bowl, because they're going to have a chance to. And all you can ever get is a chance to. You you can't just say, okay, this is our Super Bowl year now. You don't you don't you don't get to buy that ticket, right? Um, you only get an opportunity to, and whether or not they seize it, it's in the hands of a lot of things outside of our control, especially as fans. But the question for how to enjoy it, you got to kind of answer that yourself, but don't think of this as a means to a gloried end. The, the, it's, there's a lot more about the journey than the just destination in sports. And I think the, the sooner people kind of realize how much there is to that, the, the easier sports in general get to enjoy. Um, and I wanted to t- do that one first because I see it so often, especially when the Vikings are good. I think there's a defensive pessimism. It's a very Minnesotan thing. You know, ah, it's going to get cold out anyways. I might as well not be excited about how, how hot it is. It's just going to get cold again, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's something that I especially noticed a lot once I moved out of Minnesota. And I realized that that's not a thing that happens everywhere. But it's a lot with sports, too. It's, well, they're just going to lose to the to the Bills, you know? Or they're just going to, well, that'd be awesome if they were in the Super Bowl, right? You know, oh, they're just going to lose in the playoffs, though, right? Like, then why, why would I ever get my hopes up? Well, because it's damn fun to watch them win a bunch of games. Don't don't act like you didn't cheer a whole bunch when, you know, they threw that KJ Osborne touchdown or when you got a interception that all but iced the game from Cam Bynum. You know, that that, that stuff's really fun. You know, the couple of sacks at the very end that did ice the game. Um, don't act like that wasn't fun. Be present in the moment and try not to think so much about the next one. OK, what? Way too long on that one, but that's an important thing to me and an important conversation I think we should have in a season where it's going well. Next one comes from Observed Idiocy, who asks, given that Booth and Scene weren't even close to being starters and Ingram has played poorly, did Quasi whiff on his top draft picks and related trades? Um, no. I can't, you can't say that in a rookie year. It, you can't judge a draft like that, that, that like zoomed out in a rookie year, half of the draft picks haven't gotten in. We have no idea how good guys are. By this time in Ezra Cleveland's first year, he wasn't playing. Um, by this time in, I mean, in a lot of players, by this time in in Christian Derrissaw's first year, he had barely gotten in because he was hurt. You know, people were like, ah, oh, Derrissaw was such a bad pick. They traded down. They didn't get him. You know, I wish they got quitty pay. And <laughs> look at him now, you know. Um, I think if you want to judge a draft like that, you probably need to give it three. So we're way too early to make any sorts of sweeping judgments on that. Let's let's see what guys are like on the if Andrew Booth never sees the field, if he just never plays from scrimmage, we can say that. But uh, we're seven games in. We've got a ways to go before that's the case. Uh, the Rick Woodward asks the NFL wouldn't seriously let the seven and one Bills and the seven and one Vikings play a one p.m. game, would they? <laughs> one p.m. Eastern, I assume you mean. Uh, look. 
the NFL has no control over this. It's the broadcasting networks bidding over this stuff. And the flex rules, which, by the way, has to be done today on uh, Tuesday, November 1st. I believe that is the deadline to flex Vikings bill. So if it's getting if it's not getting flexed to Sunday Night Football, um, you'll know by the end of Tuesday. Um, the rules, as I understand them, are that the NBC or ESPN, I think, can also flex it now to Monday Night Football, needs to work that out with Fox, who owns the game right now. So Fox has to like agree to trade the Sunday night game. Um, so there's a couple of roadblocks here. A, the Sunday night game is, I think, like Chargers 49ers or something. It's two West Coast teams. So it can't become an a 10 a.m. game in on the West Coast. I believe that's uh, not allowed or at least like heavily discouraged. It's a little bit of an uphill climb. And also... Two seven and one teams, Fox is going to be pretty reticent to let that game go. They might flex it to like 325, and maybe they'll give uh, Green Bay and Dallas is a big Fox game too. Maybe they'll give that up to, to SNF or something like that. There's some negotiation that has to happen. Um, but I do think that the odds of it getting flexed are pretty good just because it's two seven and one teams. That figures to be a pretty good game. We'll find out tomorrow uh, or today, I guess, as I'm I'm recording this on, <laughs> on the 31st on Halloween. Um that also reminds me, the trade deadline is 3 p.m. on November 1st, 3 p.m. Central. So that's something to look at, too. We've talked a lot about trade deadline possibilities on this couple uh, on this show the last couple of weeks. Whatever happens or doesn't happen, it'll be over by the afternoon. I have a ton more questions to get to here, but first, let me talk to you about prize picks. I don't like daily fantasy, not traditional daily fantasy. I'm not into it. I don't like having to build an entire roster. If I have like a couple, I'm like, I think Damian Pierce will have a big week. I just kind of want to go on that. I don't want to have to build a whole roster about it and then enter a pool with 10 million other people and a bunch of sharps that are doing corner cases and stuff and it's impossible to win. How about just you versus the house? And how about you just pick the players you want and their prize picks projection, you just go more than or less than. And that's it. You can win up to 10 times your money. And if you go to prizepicks.com right now or download the app, you can enter promo code locked on and get a 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. So if you put in 100 bucks, you get 100 bucks for free, tacked right on top. Put in 50, get 50, etc. That is prizepicks.com promo code locked on. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports Today, Lost, as we call it. Uh, Peter Bukowski talking about everything in sports, all f- Four major men's sports leagues are in right now. So in season right now, including the World Series, tons of talk on all that. Go check it out. And also, if you want more in-depth stuff than I can talk about on a podcast in a mostly audio medium, um, this is primarily a podcast, you can check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash NFL, where I do a bunch of film reviews. I'm going to talk about Zadarius Smith, maybe Patrick Peterson, um, something else, probably something about the run game on offense this week. But we do that every week. I'm doing that two or three of those a week on Patreon. Check it out. Um, a fate worse than Seth. Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday mailbag asks, is Lewis seen actually walking? Saw pics of him with Mario and Luigi walking into the stadium. How is that possible? Hopefully that's good news. Um, yeah, so I don't think that there is any indication that he was going to be back any earlier than anyone expected. Um, but he has attacked his rehab very well. Coaches are all very happy with him. And it seems like that's all going the way it's supposed to. The surgery was successful and all that stuff. He was seen walking without a brace or anything like that with a compound fracture. I'm no doctor. I don't know if that's normal or not. It feels like it shouldn't be normal, but like, I have no idea that maybe that's normal. And so you probably have to ask somebody with medical expertise. Um, 
but there is no indication right now that he would be back any earlier than we expected, which was out for the season. So I, I'm still, my brain is still kind of like, we'll check back in on Lewis scene next August and kind of out of sight, out of mind until then. Uh, Zachary Hayes asks, if we were to trade for someone like a Bradley Chubb, could Daniel go back to what is now defensive end or does that not work out with the scheme? It's not, you could say that, but it wouldn't mean much. Um, Daniel Hunter moves all around the formations. Darius Smith moves all around the formation. Patrick Jones, Patrick Jones got a pressure out of nose tackle. They just do weird stuff like that. So those denominations are crazy important, but in the like super base, like in the, in the nickel package, um, he wasn't basically a 4-3 defensive end, Hunter and Zadarius Smith were. But they, the Smith would then like rush next to Hunter out of the B-gap, like a defensive tackle and stuff. So if you got Bradley Chubb, he'd just mix into that. Um, but it's not like a Madden thing where there's these rigid positions where everybody lines it. You got your right defensive end and your left defensive end. That Zimmer did that. We don't really do that anymore. So it can kind of be anywhere, and there wouldn't be really a conflict there. Put guys next to each other, rotate them in, do what you got to do to keep people healthy and fresh. That would kind of be the the, the move if you got a guy like Bradley Chubb or like Josh Allen is out. Uh, the Jaguars, Josh Allen, not <laughs> Phil's Josh, Josh Allen, defensive Josh Allen. Um, so if you were to theoretically do something like that. Also, the rumor is that they're not looking at anybody on defense. If they're going to get somebody, I'm going off of Darren Wolfson here. It will be a field stretcher. Um Irv Smith and Dalvin Tomlinson, by the way, MRIs came back. They are being called week to week. So make of that what you will. Um, but Irv Smith has a high ankle sprain. That tends to not be the kind of thing you come back from, you know, a week that those, those, those linger. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them get somebody at the deadline. Maybe they already have by the time you're listening to this. Um, Max McElroy asks, I know Kirk's accuracy has been off this year, but it almost feels like other areas of his game have improved. Uh, he has become really productive when scrambling, avoiding sacks. Now he's running 20-yard touchdowns. Sign me up. Guess that's not really a question, but curious if you see this as well. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, the accuracy is, I'm not even going to say concerning. Usually when I'm scouting a quarterback, like draft-wise, I'm thinking like accuracy is the number one thing I care about. I think it is the most important thing with quarterbacks. Can you put the ball where you mean to put it? Kirk's accuracy issue is too minor for me to apply that level of like stakes to it. Um, it comes up sometimes, but it doesn't come up enough to overshadow. He is way more active in the pocket than he was in the last two years, like a lot more active in the pocket, I think. And, and with intention too, like he's really finding space and, you know, not wasting movement. It's very controlled, subtle movement that has intention and helps rescue blocks. And, it, and he's doing it a few times a game. That's new. And he is progressing more often. And I don't mean like going through progressions like you would talk about with a rookie. I mean, Kirk Cousins will kind of take what's there too often. And that's a criticism that I've had that he will take um, like the first read. If it's a completion, he'll take it, even if that completion isn't good enough. Uh, you know, third and eight, he'll take the, the four yard completion. That's kind of been the critique of him. He's progressing past that more this year. And I think it's been a lot better. So I do think that those things are happening more often and creating positive plays more often than the accuracy, accuracy issue creates negative plays. So absolutely agree and pretty happy with it. Uh, F3Z asks, why has the pass game been so bad under pressure? <laughs> Immediately owned. <laughs> We've never been good against it, but it looks like it's worse despite the general improvement of the O-line. I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I, I think 
Um, there have been a couple of problems in particular. Their blitz counters have not been together. Um, I do think they did pr- a, a little better with that. Kirk found some blitzes pre-snap and got the ball out. The touchdown, I want to say to KJ, the, the KJ Osborne touchdown late was that. He found the blitz pre-snap and then um, countered it. So I think it's getting better, but blitz pickups and pressures require communication. They're learning a lot of new stuff. Communication's bad all over, all across the board. That's kind of where that problem's going to show up. Um, but I don't think, I, I don't know if I agree that it's like that dire of an issue. Uh, Kyle Barker asks, is Christian Derrissaw the Vikings offensive MVP? Having a wall for left tackle has been so beneficial. Can't remember the last really negative play he's made. Hasn't been called for a penalty all year. I, it's it's Justin Jefferson. It's I can't say it's not Justin Jefferson, but Christian Derrissaw is a clear second. And were it not for Justin Jefferson, you, like, you'd be pretty easy. It'd be very easy to say uh, Christian Derrissaw. And I think Christian Derrissaw belongs on the all pro list this year. I'm, I'm saying it. It's insane. His he was unreal in this Arizona game. Like, oh my god! If you get a chance to rewatch it or even just watch the highlights, keep your eyes on uh, Christian Darrisaw the whole time. It's it's violence. It's amazing. I have so many more questions. I might not get to all of them, and I apologize for that. Um, but. It's time I talk to you about a good old gramble. BetOnline.net is your one-stop shop for all things grambling. Vikings are currently three-and-a-half-point favorites in Washington, so you can go bet that or the over-under or props or what what have you. You can bet on the World Series. You can bet on basketball, hockey, golf, tennis, MMA, anything. You can find all that at BetOnline.net. You can even make uh, player props or bet right in the middle of a game or event. You can find that at BetOnline.net where the game starts. Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday mailbag. The next one comes from Skull Squatch, who asks, it seems like Ed Ingram has gotten worse as the season has gone on. Do you think it's a confidence thing or is he failing to adjust as defenders learn and attack his weaknesses? Yeah, that can happen with rookies sometimes where they have a problem, but the first couple teams don't have tape on that problem. And then once somebody gets tape on that problem, they can exploit it more. The way he is setting in his pass protection is just not very precise. That's going to be my best shot at describing the problem. And that encompasses like oversetting, setting at the wrong depths, stuff like that. And it makes it a lot easier to get attacked. It's rookie stuff. Yeah, it's it, hopefully you grow on that and, and guards tend to grow at a slower pace. So that's what you, you, you got a rookie right guard. It's like what you get when you start a rookie right guard. Um, but I, a lot of people are asking questions like the next couple I'm going to get here. So there is some conversation, I guess, to be had about doing something about it. For example, Andy Spillum asks, do you think that they will activate or dress the backup guards considering Ingram's play recently? So Chris Reed, who would probably be the primary backup guard, hasn't been active for games. You can't pull Ed Ingram in the middle and put Chris Reed in. It would probably be Ole Udo, perhaps Blake Brandel. Uh, Brandel. So what do we do with that? And the reason I think is because Ole Udo is a swing player. He can play both tackle and guard. That's why they're dressing him because now no matter what injury you sustain, he can be there to limp you through to the end of the game. But if say Ed Ingram went down for a number of weeks, I think Chris Reed would be the one to like actually start in the interim. Um, but you don't need to have him dressing on a game day to take over right away. It'd be like what you do throughout the week. So that's what I think is happening there. 
if you decided we're going to think about benching Ed Ingram, I don't think you hook him in the middle of a game reactively. I think that's a that's a, a, a process. And that process might not even play out publicly. That process could even be going on and we just wouldn't know about it because they wouldn't do it when the media can see practice. Um, but you can have like a competition kind of. You can have a midweek. We're going to do a practice where you guys rotate reps. You know, Chris Reed and Ed Ingram ro- rotate reps. Let's see who does better. And if... Ed Ingram wins the job outright in practice, then you just keep going with it. And we as fans never know that there was something or if not, you know, you make the change. Um, but I don't think you do it reactively. You like, you can see, let's look in practice. Will Chris Reed be better? Do we like that? You can look at that. Um, so I think it would play out as a process. You'd have a week of, of maybe rotating reps and then you'd have a game where you try him or you kind of will decide we're going to consider benching Ed Ingram but we can take a look before we actually pull the trigger. Uh, similarly, King Squeaks asks, does benching Ingram risk damaging his development and future potential or does continuing to start him and have him get bulldozed every game more of a risk? I don't think the way that Ed Ingram is losing right now is causing bad habits. Um, yeah, because he's not, like with Oli Udo, he was holding so much. He was getting that bad habit. And it was like, man, get him out of here before that's all he knows how to do. TJ Clemmings did that. You know, he got so, he got really lungy. I always think of TJ Clemmings as that because he started before he was ready. And the only way he had any shot to block someone because he couldn't set up, he had no idea what to do with his hands. He just had no idea what he was doing. And the only thing that he had, the only club in his bag that ever worked was lunging, just throwing his whole body weight at someone and hoping that he could get a pancake off of it. And that became really easy to counter and he picked up that habit and I don't think he ever got over it. Um, that's the kind of thing you want to avoid. I don't think we are seeing that with Ed Ingram right now. I think the mistakes that are leading him to be, uh, to, to get beat, the solution to them is just straight up fixing the problem and the mistake. I don't think he's picking up a bad habit that is like, like creates a new problem that also needs to be solved in, over the course of his development. So, Bench him or don't, I don't think that it's going to have an impact one way or another. So I think you can just make the decision based on who do you want at right guard. Josh asks, what, if any, scheme changes did you notice in the defense that improved their performance against the Cardinals? So there's a bunch of things um, to this, and I don't have time to get into all of them. I will talk about it a lot tomorrow. But preview, they used uh, stems, which is a word I, I just learned. Uh, stemming their front. It's like when you adjust the front pre-snap, um, kind of like a stunt, but before the play. Um, I, I knew it was a thing. I couldn't remember the word for it, but stemming that was something they did. It was all just a lot more complicated on the front. They have clearly installed things that they weren't really ready to run week one that they're ready to run after the bye. Um, and it was a lot harder for the Cardinals to protect for that. The Cardinals were never winning this game. I'll tell you that much right now with the way that the defense layered in things that that there there's no tape out on that. They ran really vanilla stuff before the bye comparatively. And of course, the Cardinals also had a backup line. They were screwed. Cardinals are never they're losing this game 10 times out of 10, honestly, unless Kyler Murray makes like hero ball and keeps up. But um, they were getting pressure 10 times out of 10. I'll put it that way. That particular matchup, the Vikings were always going to win um, just because there's no way the Cardinals could have prepared. So there was that. Um, I think that they were a little bit more, they've been more zone matchy instead of spot drop zoney, and they're a lot more polished at that. And that also was a thing like the, the number of mistakes is just dwindling and going down, down, down every week. And that's exactly what we want to see. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of cool answers to this, but the big one is how they approached their pass rushes and their fronts was just 
way more complicated and w- therefore way harder to block. Hope Arch says, did the defense actually play nickel on 100% of their snaps against the cards? Yeah, Shannon Sullivan played every single rep. And that's a Cardinals thing, not a Vikings thing. Cardinals, I don't think they ever had two tight ends and I don't think they ever had two running backs. I don't think they ever gave the Vikings a reason to get out of nickel, which is a great thing to have happen to you the week Jonathan Bullard is out. (laughs) So you just never really needed him. And he probably would have rotated in um, in the way that like Blacklock and Tonga did and James Lynch did just to keep guys fresh, but you never had to have that like base package with a backup in. And it's just the way the Cardinals are. This, they're like a speed team. It's just how they live. So they'll, they'll never get people in their base. They're always going against people's nickel package. And it's like what they want. They want to take advantage of slot corners and stuff with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, Waka Waka says, did Pat Pete play more press or more aggressive in this game? O'Connell said he greenlighted him to do so, wondering if it made a difference. Like a handful of times, but no, I don't think so. And I don't think that would have been the move this game. Like, you have the green light. That's great. You have permission to make that choice. But I would guess that Pat Peterson said, I am not going to press you, Robbie Anderson. I'm going to instead watch what route you run and jump it because Robbie Anderson is not a very deceptive route runner at all. He has tons of tells, and Peterson would rather sit back, watch him, break on the ball, and that's how he got a bunch of pass breakups. Ryan Spry asks, do you think national media is ignoring the Vikes? A lot of reports about how we we can't convincingly win, but that just tells me they didn't even watch the cards game. Sure. Um, I don't know. I, they're a six in one team, and I don't think they're getting quite as much press as like the Bills, which feels a, a, a little fair. But I think it's fair to ask for the Vikings who, you know, barely beat the Lions, barely beat the Bears to prove a little bit more. And I think the Bills game will do a lot for their national perception one way or another. If they get killed by the Bills, at 7-2, and two, people just won't believe in them at all until the playoffs. But if they can actually go toe-to-toe with the Bills, maybe even notch a moral victory, <laughs> then I, I, I think the, the national like perception will, will hinge a lot on that game. But it's like you can't really do anything when you're going to... Like the Commanders, they can either lose to the Commanders and everybody's like, I knew they were frauds, or uh, they can beat the commanders and everybody go, well, they're frauds and it's just another fraud win, right? But I will tell you right now, I do I kind of agree that everything before the bye had some fakeness to it. You know, backup quarterbacks, close games that shouldn't have been close games, you know, barely beating teams that you should be killing. Beat the Cardinals this game. It was, it was real and you can hang your hat on it and who cares what the national media says. Stephanie Churchill asks, seven games in, where and what specifically have the Vikings improved the most? I don't know, getting Pro Bowl play out of Christian Derrissaw is a huge thing. Um, Justin Jefferson is the first read on like every pass play. I don't know if you would call that like an improvement. It's like kind of neither here nor there, but it's a strategy thing that has affected the way the team works. That's a big one. I would say the Kirk Cousins stuff that I talked about earlier is huge. Um, Defensively, they over the course of the season improved a lot in terms of their communication. And we're seeing the dividends for that. Yeah, that's probably the the list off the top of my head. Oh, and the situational masters thing. That's huge. Just being really sound. They were so bad at the situational stuff under Zimmer. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins was not good at managing the clock. Mike Zimmer wasn't good at managing the clock. O'Connell still does some stuff that like we can debate and disagree with, but I'm really happy with their ability. Like, we, have we seen a single like route run a yard behind the sticks on third and one, like or on on third down? Like, I don't think we've seen that at all. That was such a thing with Zimmer is you'd get like a six yard route on third and seven and then you'd punt on the third and one. 
And that is the kind, like everybody's very aware of the situation, what the sticks are, where that needs to be. And that's a huge one. James K asks, based on what's changed and not changed about the Vikings since week two, if we were to play the Eagles as they are right now, do you think it would be different and why? Always, right? Like if they if they lined up on the following Tuesday and played a game against the Eagles, it probably goes different just because of variance. Um, but yeah, I, I, they're just a better team than they were week two. Better team than they were week one, too. Like, and week three and four. Like they're just better than they were going into the bye. So yeah, I think, I think totally. Um, based on a lot of that stuff I, I, I've talked about, kind of improving over the course of the year. Anthony Ramos asks, are teams taking Justin Jefferson away in the red zone or is Kirk not seeing him? Man, it's, I, I don't know if taking him away is the word. Like the Vikings went five and five in the red zone. Like they scored just touchdowns to someone else. You know, you first in goal from the eight and you score on a run play. Yeah. Justin Jefferson doesn't have anything to do with that unless he was blocking. Um, so yeah, maybe if they needed to run more plays, they'd get more touchdowns to Justin Jefferson, but you're not going to find me complaining about that. Swamp Sparrow asks, why are you so mad that the Vikings are 6-1? and one? You're right, I'm furious. I am so owned by the Vikings being 6-1. and one. I was such a hater in the offseason, and all I wanted was failure for them. If they kept winning, gosh, it would just get my goat so good. I would just be so upset. I'd break pencils. I would throw things. I would be upset. I, you could all laugh at me. If I'd be just so uh, unbelievably mad and inconsolably furious. I'll never get over it. They better not keep winning. That would just really get get my butt. <laughs> um, that's got to be where we leave it. Uh, tomorrow I'll talk about a lot more serious stuff. We'll get into... Um, some of the, the schematic stuff the Vikings did with a little more specificity. I want to talk about some of the other stuff that happened on the offensive side of the ball, which I haven't even really gotten a chance to dive into as of this recording. Um, I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.